Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning in this room and online. Give us your Holy Spirit now that we would understand the word of God revealed once for all to the saints, that we would be molded, Father, by what you have said and by what you have decreed. Heavenly Father, thank you that in your decree of salvation, the counsel of redemption, you've sent your son Jesus to live with us, die for us, and rise again. Father, thank you that there is nobody, no exception, outside of the scope of the grace of Jesus Christ for renewal by way of forgiveness of our own hearts and our lives as we receive Jesus by faith, renewal as we receive your Holy Spirit and access a new heart and a new set of affections oriented towards loving you and other people. We look forward to the renewal of all things. So, Lord, in this ancient exercise of the reading and preaching of your scriptures, give us hope, give us faith, give us love, give us joy. Jesus, we pray this in your name and for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. If you're a parent or you know a parent, we're going to do a baptism here this morning. Uh, Sawyer Howell in a little while. But if you're a parent, no apparent, there are various milestones that you're able to check off, God willing, as your kids get older, bit by bit by bit. And they're happy milestones, right? So first step that your kid takes. It's mostly a happy thing. At least in the anger household, there's also mild panic because now you have to go, you have to raise the DEFCON level of childproofing everything because the targets are now mobile and it just creates a whole different set of dynamics there. But overall, first step, happy thing. When they can tie shoes themselves, that's a happy thing, both in general and then also because that signifies that you're out of the stage of your precious little child saying, I want to do it myself, but the kid can't. And so it's this weird back and forth where you're helping the kid tie shoes, but the kid says, get away from me, but then the kid gets frustrated that the kid can't tie the shoes. You're done. They can tie shoes now. When your children are housebroken for the first time, that's really nice. You can relax just a little bit. When your kid learns how to read, if you're in, and my kids are a little bit older, if you're into this sort of thing, first razor for your kids, first dance, first driver's license, various milestones. Here, at least in the anger household, and I'm realizing that I didn't check my own kids to see if this was okay, but I think it's okay. 
an informal milestone occurred with each of my kids. <clears throat> when each one was in lower elementary school, first, second, third grade, and the specific storylines are all a little bit different, but they all basically occurred like this. Prayer time, Bible story time, at the end of the night. But I could tell that the child upon whose edge of the bed I'm sitting isn't quite ready to go to sleep yet. The child is a little melancholy, looking forlorn. And he or she says this. Dad, I get sad sometimes. Do you get sad sometimes? And I say yes. And then, Dad, I get really sad sometimes. Do you get really sad sometimes? And I say, yes. Child says, Dad, it seems like everything is really sad sometimes. Do you think everything is really sad sometimes? And I say, yes. And so I offer sad verification that this is how the world works. Even in my specific situation, and I'm not saying this hopefully in a weird or braggy way, angers don't have it that bad. My side of the family, majority culture, we're pretty well off relative you know, to whatever baselines or averages around the world. But even for them, for us, in a relatively secure setting, pain, the tears, the dysfunction, the frustration, the failure, the brokenness is there. And parents, I think you feel me on this one. Don't you wish that you could shield your kids from all of it? Wouldn't it be great to be able to say in truth and integrity when your, when your kid asks, hey, is the world really as sad as I think it is? to be able to say instead, actually, it's much better than that. It's not sad at all. But it is. And all we can do is agree. But for everybody, high, low, north, south, east, and west, currently, throughout the ages, the pain, the tears, the suffering, the brokenness, the sin, all real. I wish... I could protect my kids from it, but I can't. I can't protect my kids from it, but I can try to prepare them. And whether for children or adults, anybody and everybody, I don't think I'd be able to be a pastor if I weren't able to say that I believe that the best preparation for a broken, tear-filled, sad world the best buffer against all that's around us and within us is to dig into the scriptures and connect by faith with the one that has created us, molded us, authored us, is over all of these things, and press ahead. And that includes here this morning and on August 13th, Psalm 126. And this is a psalm that has a little bit of a refrain, said in slightly different ways, past tense to present prayer. Verse 1 to verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. 
like streams in the Negev. The Negev was a certain region of the ancient Near East, super, super arid, dry, cracked ground most of the time. But every once in a while, there would be this flash flood. When I was in Western PA for a bit, I heard that there was some rain here, right? Kind of got pounded suddenly. If you're in the Negev and you get one of those flash floods, what is normally dry, barren ground bursts forth with green and flowers and colors and vibrancy all over again. But still the pain is real. That's why the psalmist is saying, restore us, because we're dry. And we're hurting. The sadness is real, but so is the hope. And here's a question for us this morning. Whether you're here as a Christian, or you're still struggling through aspects of faith, or you're not sure where you are, what do you do when it gets sad? Because it does. Because it is. Where do you go with that? What do you lean on? What do you rely upon? The reality is, too, for now, the sad world is here to stay. Until Jesus comes back, right? When, as we sing in the old song, when the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend and makes all things new, sets to right what is wrong in our world, establishes justice, peace, wholeness, the Hebrew word shalom for all time. That's going to be a great day, but it's not today. And so the sadness stays. The sadness is not going to change for now. But do you know what can change by God's grace? We can. We can focus. We can receive. And I hope and pray that you feel an invitation from the living Lord here this morning to move towards more hope in a broken world. So two parts here for the rest of this morning. We're going to be looking at two sets of either wars. We're going to be looking first at forgetting versus focusing. And then we're going to look at fortune versus God's faithfulness. Forgetting versus focusing. Fortune versus God's faithfulness. And this is Psalm 126. I should have read the superscription, actually. That's the little fine print in our English Bibles. It's there in the originals, too. The descriptor of the psalm, it's a song of ascents, it says. Some of you know this, but the songs of ascents are a specific section of the Psalter in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, the ancient hymn book of God's ancient people, the Israelites, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. All songs of ascents. These are road trip songs given to the Israelites for when periodically throughout the year they make their pilgrimages to Jerusalem for various religious festivals. These are the songs they sing as they ascend along the way. Think of it as your road mix. So like I mentioned, I was just in Western PA, and I'm not the only one. So many of you have told me that you also, when you're driving out somewhere, recently you've listened from the Springsteen Archives to the Meadowlands in June of 1993, Bruce Springsteen and his band, and then on the way back, Pittsburgh, September 11th, 2016, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. So we're all in the same boat when it comes to those things. Those were my songs of ascent. You have yours, and I hope they're good. But what's intriguing to me as well about these songs of ascent, they're different tunes. They're different melodies. 
They're different themes. They're different songs. They're not all the same. They, they cast and strike lots of different emotional notes, which also is like a road trip. When you go with friends or family on various vacations or times away when you're driving, have you noticed that there can be different moods in the car? Sometimes you're really happy. Sometimes you're frustrated. Sometimes you're upset. Sometimes you're scared. Have you ever been in the situation where you're on a road trip with family or friends, and right at the beginning of the trip, you have a really nasty, knockdown, drag-out fight with somebody else in the car, and then the argument finally either blows up or peters out, but then everybody in the car at the same time recognizes that sinking feeling where, wow, I have eight more hours in the car with this person. I've heard that happens in families sometimes. Different moods. What would you say is the mood of this psalm, Psalm 126? Many scholars, and it's not a 100% uniform opinion, but have considered this to be a psalm of lament, where things are not right. It's a prayer or a cry to God. Verse 4 again. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The fine print there, and it's really not that fine or small, is that things are not quite right. Things are not the way that they should be, not the way that we want them to be. Why else, therefore, would we pray, restore our fortunes, if things are not really that good right now? So it's a psalm of lament. And what I want to do for this, and then the part two of the sermon, is bring our current selves into conversation with this psalm. What do we do when it gets sad? Our world, sad. The world of this psalm, sad. Give four sets of polarities or either ors. And the first one is going to be contemporary or common tendencies. And then the second one is going to be the invitation from the creator. Common tendencies, invitation from creator. So forgetting versus focusing. Common tendency is forgetting. Focusing is the invitation. Just looking to general fortune, common tendency. And then also the invitation from the creator. We are looking to God's faithfulness, and then a couple more on August 13th. So, what do we do when it gets sad? Well, we have a choice. We can either just try to forget about it, we're in New Jersey after all, or try to focus instead. And forgetting about it is something that we've been talking here on Sunday mornings at Liberty Collingswood in the spring into the summer. What do we do when things get sad or hard or scary or anxiety-inducing? Let's just try to escape. Let's just try to forget about it. Let's just try to numb out a little bit. And we've talked before about the big three of surfing, scrolling, and binging. Very often, that's what we do when things get hard. We'll just surf. You know, Jersey Shore, I recommend, like, real surfing. That's actually a good escape. Hours and hours of online surfing, not as good but we'll just try to forget who we are for a little while. Or scrolling. Something new, something new, something new, something funny, something where I can laugh at other people, just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Or binging of various kinds. And it can be binging things that are otherwise good but too much or things that we shouldn't do at all. We'll eat too much, we'll drink too much, We'll shop too much, 
It'll be 2.37 a.m. in the morning, and we'll say, I really should go to bed, but our Netflix browser is already loading the next episode, and we say, what the heck, I've come this far, and we try to escape. Whether you're here as a Christian or not, it's easy enough to do, but then also there are cultural forces at work that I think press us in this direction of only worrying about what's right in front of us right now. YOLO, not as much of a hashtag as it was a couple years ago, but this whole idea of you only live once. As I understand it from my kids, one of the most popular contemporary artists today is Bob Seger in the Silver Bullet Band. Do you remember the old Bob Seger song? We've got tonight. Who needs tomorrow? But that idea is still with us. And cultural critics have said the same thing, including Bible scholar who put it this way, and this is a reflection quote in your worship folder, our consumer culture is organized against history. There is a depreciation of memory and a ridicule of hope, which means everything must be held in the now, either an urgent now or an eternal now. Or we bounce back and forth between everything is horrible, sky is falling, to forget, 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 forget. I think there's going to be a blog post for me Coming up on Thursday, we'll talk a little bit more about this as it relates to environmental issues, but as I, as I track the dialogue or the discourse, whether it's inside the church or, out, or outside, we only have two modes, and this applies to a lot of other things too, cataclysmic or catatonic. That's all we know how to do. Cataclysmic, everything is horrible, we're going to die tomorrow unless Doc Brown perfects Mr. Fusion today, or forget about it, forget about it, forget about it, forget about it. Those are only our two modes. And I think at some point in the sermon here, if you watch the Mad Men show from a few years ago, that iconic title sequence where a silhouetted businessman walks into an office, Don Draper, John Hamm, put together, puts his suitcase, briefcase down, but then all of a sudden he's in free fall out the window, everything is horrible, but right before he touches the ground, he's back on his couch with a cigarette and drink, everything is fine. Those are the two modes. That's what we do. But to make it more personal, what are you ignoring that you should not be ignoring? What are you trying to numb out about or forget about or just treat as not there? Something that you should actually focus upon. Maybe it's a relational thing when you really should have a conversation. But everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. Maybe it's a mental health thing where, yeah, I should probably double-click on this. Maybe it's a spiritual health thing where there's a thought pattern or a behavior pattern that's still going on. You know you shouldn't be going in this direction, but it's just too easy to stop it, and I'm not even going to really pay attention to when I do it. Maybe it's a financial issue. When, and I've been in this boat myself, it's easier not to look at my credit card bill than to look at my credit card bill. Ignore, 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 ignore. Yeah, debt might be piling up, but I'll just leave that till tomorrow. Or ignore a health issue, where it should probably pick up a phone and schedule a doctor's appointment. It's probably fine. And we just escape a little bit more. These sorts of things catch up with us. And the reality is, too, does it work? When you just double down on ignoring and escaping, double down on ignoring and escaping, double down on ignoring and escaping, is that really a sustainable long-term strategy? No. 
Instead, everything just boomerangs back at you, and it blows up. And again, if you're like me, sometimes I can be caught off guard by the blow-up. I'm like, what happened? Well, what happened is there was this issue that I should have been dealing with that for a long period of time I wasn't dealing with, and now I'm shocked, shocked, I tell you, that it's blown up. But I was ignoring. There must be a better way, and there is. One of the things that the grace of God and the reality of a personal Holy Spirit, that if you believe in Jesus, the Spirit comes into you, you're actually able to think about the past without being destroyed. You're actually able to focus on the present without being destroyed. You don't need to ignore your pain or forget the tears, but instead take it in and ask for God's help. That's what this beginning of the psalm is. Remembering, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy and so on. Remembering, and probably the immediate context of this psalm is the return of the Israelites from exile. That's what's being remembered here. But it's just general enough in detail that it's very easy to expand it and universalize it and say, as you think back, there were good times and there were bad times. But God was there. We don't have to blinker off the past. And even when we hope that God has better days ahead of us, we, we recognize that the tears are real. End of the psalm. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We can focus without being crushed. We can think about trauma, whether it's personal trauma, family trauma, people group trauma, and not be at sea with it and be overdefined by it, but recognize pain in that way within the framing of the image of God, a deeper anchor, and say at the same time, the pain is not all that there is. And that's why I can look at it, because I know that God has been in the past and is with me in the present and will come with me into the future. Where might, instead of ignoring, you focus instead and say, I need to work on this now. Not tomorrow, not never, not maybe, but God, give me help now. And what do we look to when we look to the future? Simply fortune in the general generic sense or God's faithfulness at the same time? You might come back and say, what if the pain is too much? What if the tears are too deep? I don't think I can look back. I don't think I can look forward. When I look to the future, what am I actually depending upon or not? And here's door number one and door number two. Are you just looking to fortune, or are you able to look to God's faithfulness? Fortune? And if you're still somebody here that is working on spiritual realities, you're, you're not sure yet. I'm not saying this is specifically or definitely you, but at a more general level, I know plenty of secular, non-theistic family and friends that would say something like this, holding these two things together. Yeah, if I actually have to make a pronouncement about it, the world is random, purposeless, from nowhere, going nowhere. Atoms collect together and then disperse again. That's all that there is, purposeless universe. And I believe that everything happens for a reason. Or that things are going to turn out okay. 
I know plenty of folks that, that are intelligent, good, modern people that, that think that. I would simply, as a gadfly, want to observe that these two things, our world is completely random, no God above, no hell beneath, no author, no purpose, no design, no direction. Holding that as true along with everything happens for a reason, or I think things are going to work out okay, in my mind, that requires a deeper, bigger, wider leap of faith that to me is actually pretty unreasonable and irrational than looking to this world in all of its grand design and then looking up to a designer and saying, I trust the author of all of this and God will be faithful. It's just going to work out okay. And I think for a lot of Christians... That's kind of how we live on a daily basis. Yeah, life is kind of messy and bad, lots of tears, lots of pain, but I think it'll work out. And there's no more God-focused than that. But if that's kind of where we're floating along, what kind of hope does a secular narrative actually allow us to have? And I think not that much. Some combination of wishful thinking as it relates to good job, good people, and good luck. Good job. Well, okay, life is pretty mean and hard, but if I do a good enough job, whether that's professionally, whether that's with my friends or my community or my family or my found family, whatever it is, if I keep it together amidst this whirlwind of painful chaos all around me, then I think I can have enough confidence to say things are going to work out fine. If that's where you are, you're a better person than I am. I don't think I can trust myself to do a good enough job to make all of that happen. But then you might come back and say, well, it's not just me. Uh, people are good, and people are going to do a good job. Again, whether it's like people near you, or politicians, or celebrities, or thought leaders, or this really awesome podcast, whatever it is, these people are going to guide us. The march of history is going to take us to a better place. This may sound counterintuitive to you, but I've been a preacher long enough that saying you trust other people is a really bad idea, okay? Ultimately speaking, you know, can people earn trust and should you trust others? Generally, sure. But if that's your ultimate trust, that there are some good people either near me or above me that are going to really do awesome things... I'm not so sure. Or is it just some vague sense of, well, like, luck's going to turn our way? Uh, track, rec track record predicts future performance and outcomes, right? Is that all it is? And I think I've mentioned, like, that good luck becomes King George good luck, where it's not good luck, but it's good luck. And we actually don't have much of it. But then on the other hand, we can look to a faithful God, which is what this psalmist is doing here. We've talked this spring about a God of providence who is sovereign over all things by his authority, over all things, by his near and loving presence in the midst of all things, including us, who guides this messy world yet by his loving and fatherly 
hand. That's what the psalmist is doing here in the Psalm of Ascents. Remembering, recalling, and knowing that God is here and will continue to be. Here's the logic of the connection from beginning to end. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. We'll talk about saying among the nations next time. But there's a recall of in the mess, God was with us to restore. And now restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out with weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The logic of faith and trust is that God has been faithful, therefore God will be faithful. God has been faithful, therefore God will be faithful. And so that we're able to stretch out in both directions of the pressure of the urgent or eternal now, look back without being crushed, and look forward without being hopeless. Because God's got this. It's in his name. And this is where we'll wrap up. To me, it's not a coincidence that the only ascription or name of God that we find in this psalm is Lord. And some of you know that Lord in the Hebrew Scriptures, all capital letters, signifies that this is Yahweh. There are many different names of God in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Testament. But this one here, this one here, is not just any name of God, but it's a special historic name for the Israelites and then opened up to everybody in Jesus. God showed up to Moses and Aaron and said, this is my name, Yahweh, I will be who I will be, I am who I am, and I'm the one that's going to lead you out of Egypt. And so it's Yahweh. Remember God's track record of faithfulness in the midst of all the mess. It's in the name, and that name to whom we're able to pray is ours in Jesus. The most sacrosanct name in the world in the life of the ancient Israelites, is one that is then given and shared with Jesus. So in the Old Testament we read, Moses tells the Israelites, and this is a prayer of Jewish people around the world today, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. The Apostle Paul comes along after Jesus is crucified and resurrected and said, yeah, that's what we should call Jesus as well. Then in his crucifixion and resurrection, that the Lord gave Jesus that name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that Lord means life for us. The apostle puts it in his letter to the, to the Corinthians. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many lords, as there are today, lots of idols everywhere. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And that's via crucifixion. Because Jesus on the cross paid for all of our mess and all of our sin. So for the ways in which it's not just everybody around us, but it's we ourselves that cause the tears, that cause the pain, that break God's law, that go against his will. As simple and beautiful as it is, Jesus says, 
Love the Lord your God, repeating the commandment from the Old Testament, all your mind, soul, heart, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're like, that sounds great, but we can't do it. We're really bad at it. Jesus says, let that shortcoming come upon me so that you can receive my forgiveness and renovation today and hope for the final renovation to come. Midway through summer, still time for a summer project. Recognize the specific ways in which you're trying to forget. See that it's futile. Those escapes are not going to give you what you think you need. And focus upon God's faithfulness instead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.